Hello, I'm Brittany Wilson. I'm Nia Wasink, and you're listening to The The Nonprofit Nonprofit Reframe. Reframe. Together, Nia and I have over 30 years of nonprofit experience. We've worked the program side, the business side, and everything in between. We are reframing the nonprofit experience by challenging the status quo, because we know that nonprofits and their staff are undervalued, under-resourced, and unrelenting. Welcome back to the Nonprofit Reframe. You know, I'm sick of saying Happy Monday. I'm not going to say Happy Monday. Don't say it. Don't do it. It's Monday. Mondays are shit. (laughs) It's not a Happy Monday. (laughs) But it is June 15. Uh, We are releasing this episode a few weeks later because somebody gets to go on vacation. Woohoo! Can't wait. That someone is not me, to be clear. COVID not keeping me down. (laughs) I mean, to be clear, we did have to adjust our vacation plans um, so that we didn't take a plane and weren't staying in hotels and that we're going somewhere with even fewer people, not places with more people. So, And places that don't have spiking levels of coronavirus. (laughs) That's right. This is where we're very fortunate to live in Colorado, and we have all these states above us that have not a lot of people, (laughs) which means not a lot of coronavirus. Very true. So Wyoming, Montana, South Dakota. All the options. Idaho, all the options. Yeah. (laughs) How was your weekend? It was fine. Uh, my husband is a wildland firefighter. I, I know we've discussed that a little bit on here before. Um, and he has a, a slightly different job these days. You know, he, he spent the years going out on engines and hand crews. Um, and now he is working with um, the aerial team. So the, the planes and th- things that support. So cool. Yeah. <laughs> I know you don't think it's he cool, certainly but thinks it's everybody cool. else. <laughs> um, but and every other man that he tells his job to thinks it's cool. Oh, most and women, certainly for that matter. Most certainly. Yeah. Well, what's funny though is it is so much just sitting around uh, because you know planes are kind of called as not a last resort, but you know the, the fire's got to get pretty big. They've got to be threatening sure. homes for them to want to you know basically pay the expense of having planes, and so they just sit at the ready. For days on end in case, you know, one of these fires gets gets bigger or the fire danger increases. So he worked late every night this weekend, and I think they flew one load. Um, so I didn't get to see him. And then this morning he got called out um, out of town, so I won't see him for a week or two. So my, oh, uh, my time alone just got increased exponentially. Welcome to fire season, everyone. (laughs) Something I never appreciated before living in Colorado. Growing up in Ohio, we we didn't really have fires. So, but now that I've lived out here and have lived through some really big ones Mm -hmm. that are just devastating on multiple levels, um, I just so appreciate what your husband does and. All the other wildland firefighters out there keep us safe. Uh, last night he was like, well, aren't you excited to like get the house to yourself? And I was like, what do you think I'm doing all day, every day? I have the house to myself. 
<laughs> I'm not yeah, seeing it's called- anybody. I'm not going anywhere. I am just home with the cats. <laughs> it's called quarantine, buddy. We've been doing it for m- multiple months now. Yeah. <laughs> I will say it was kind of funny, though, this morning as we were saying goodbye and he was leaving. He's like, well, I'm off to do the slightly less problematic hero's job for the week. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, I hope that um, it's not too boring and yet not uh, too stressful because if it's too stressful, it means that there's a big fire and nobody really wants yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I've talked to some of the other uh, filed, Fireland Wildfire. <laughs> Golly. <laughs> Wildland Firefighter Spouses. Um, and we all kind of comment that it's this weird, like, Obviously, as humans, we don't we don't want there to be wildland fires, but at the same time, like it's our spouse's job, and they love it, and so it, it always feels a little bit like weird. are obsessed with it. They're obsessed, obsessed. with it. Yeah, fanatic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I will keep you company for the next week to two weeks. Oh, thank you, Brittany. <laughs> How was your weekend? Um, it was good. We actually got away and went uh, camping in the mountains Aww. for a couple nights. It was um, a lot cooler oh, than it is God. down here in so the hills. So fucking hot. It is awful. So hot. And I know if there's people listening down south, you're like, you don't know what hot is. Truth. But <laughs> we don't have air conditioning. So take that. Well, I'm also noticing that even at, you know, not even noon, you're there in a tank top and I've got on <laughs> a full sweatshirt and sweatpants in my air conditioned house. Yeah, I guess I should clarify I don't have air conditioning. <laughs> <laughs> Nia does. And this is normally when I'd be like, oh, just come spend the night in the air conditioning. But, you know, I know. COVID. I know. I know. I know it ruins everything. So. It was really nice to get away. I forgot about the pandemic for a good 24 oh, hours. Oh, that's so nice. Really? Yeah. Yeah. But now we're back and we are talking about... Compromising values and funder relations. Oh, fun, fun. Yay. It's funny that you say it like mean- that because it was your idea. <laughs> I know. Well, exactly. It's like we have to have a episode about this because it's real. Um, but I wish it wasn't. Yeah. And it's really not compromising your values. That could be your own personal values as the fundraiser or the organization's values. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty far reaching in its impacts. And of course, built on the power dynamics. I mean, that's, that's why it even exists and is such an issue. Built on the power dynamics and stemming from a scarcity mindset. Yes. Agreed. I mean, these are just two themes that um, run through every, almost every top topic that we discuss. Yep. So when we as nonprofits are constantly running after money and different opportunities, whether it's with a grantor or with it's a pri- or whether it's a private donor, um, unfortunately, sometimes we do that at the cost of compromising our own values. Yep, absolutely. So, can you think of any time that 
that has happened with you or someplace you've worked or you've heard from a client? Yeah. Um, well, I, I'll go back to my direct fundraising days. Um, and this is always an interesting one. Um, and I'm sure the fundraisers out there can appreciate this. You know, you, you always try to position your organization um, as something meanif- meaningful, right, for anybody. But that often means that you're positioning your organization to people who you don't maybe politically align with um, and whose political leanings actually often undercut your organization's mission. So Mm -hmm. the for instance is, uh, you know, I worked in child welfare. Um, So kids in the foster care system, um, you know, just young people who who need assistance because they've been victims of abuse or neglect. And so um, the... The kind of positioning to um, more of my conservative donor base was that we were outside the government, we were a nonprofit, and we saved the government money. Oh, and interesting, you, yeah, you know, we help kids, but like th- those were the two points that could really help hit at home was that um, we we were helping support small government, um, but then you know at the same time. Republicans in general were supporting all of these laws that really were hurting child welfare, like laws that um, wouldn't allow LGBTQ folks to adopt kids. Like as an organization, we were so vehemently opposed to something like that because, well, obvious, right? Like I don't even need to say why. Um, But at the same time, you know, you're trying to be palatable so that you can get these donors involved. And it was always so hard for me to be in those meetings and leave just feeling gutted. Like, okay, awesome. I got a big check and it's going to let us... Or grody. Yeah. Really grody. Totally. And like, you always have to say like, okay, I got the check, which is going to let us do the work and that's what's most important. And at the same time, just as a human being, it feels awful. Uh, that's so hard and uh, such a great point. Yeah. How about you? Such a great point. Well, I think about... Um, well, I'm going to bring it up about sort of some of the gender dynamics. Mm. Yes. Um, Particularly being a female fundraiser. And, um, you know, I don't know if there's a stat on it. I think we looked and we couldn't find an exact one. But anecdotally, I know 100 female fundraisers to one male. Yeah. So at least in our... Like small human services nonprofits. Would you agree? No, I think I think there is probably data to support, and I just don't have my finger on it, that there are far more women in fundraising than men. Um, and yet, a gender pay gap still exists. Um, I so I think... Such bullshit. I think to your point about like in human services, yeah, there's definitely even more disproportionate number of women to men. But um, as you go into higher salary fundraising positions, like to universities, hospitals, et cetera, you're more likely to see men in those positions. Yeah. Bullshit. Such bullshit. That's so true. Well, and then you have um, kind of that gender inequity in donors. Now, I mean, when you look at research, they talk about the future is in the female donor Mm -hmm. and really putting more emphasis on appealing to female donors. Mm -hmm. And I have seen that. Yeah. But in my career thus far, the larger donors that I have worked with have been predominantly male. Yes. Yeah. Now, now whether or not they had a female counterpart, a spouse who was part of it, sure. 
but we tended to have our meetings and our conversations with the man. Yeah. Yeah. You as well? Well, yeah, I, I was just singing through my donors. You know, like when I think about my older donors who are major donors, which obviously, you know, there's some correlation there. Um, definitely much more likely to be heterosexual, much more likely to be working with the man in the relationship. Uh, but I was just thinking about the number of um, gay male couples that I worked with, uh, which is yes. an interesting dynamic as well, um, because it, this isn't where you're going, but I'm just thinking about it, and so I'm going to say it, because it's it's my podcast, too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> say it! You know, one of the interesting things, I think, with, um, you know, when you're working with a heterosexual couple is that you've got um, these these gender norms that really yeah. play out as a female fundraiser working with the male spouse. Um, but when you're working with a gay couple, it, I mean, you've got all of these interesting dynamics that play out in totally different ways, right? Like yep. I'm not worried about being sexually harassed, which is nice. And at right. the same time, they're, they're from the male population and there's still like some dominant, you know, kind of power dynamics there at play. And so it's it's just really, I think, interesting and a struggle for fundraisers either way. Yeah, to feel that out. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And so what I was speaking to is my experience as being a female fundraiser, um, working with predominantly heterosexual men mm -hmm. as major donors and having the occasional um, instance where they were inappropriate. Oh yeah. Yeah. Tell it girl. And me being in a place of not wanting to ruin that relationship or that potential, who knows, $50,000, $10,000, $20,000, big gift for my organization by calling it out in the moment. Yep. And that's also where I have received gifts from my organization and not felt really good about it. Yeah. Yeah. Because I kind of played dumb to play in. Like I didn't play into it. I didn't reciprocate anything, but I also didn't stand up for myself and stand in my voice. You know? Yeah. I just kind of brushed it off. Oh, ha, ha, ha. Keep going. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think we've created this culture, like you're talking about the scarcity mindset, where if you come back to the organization and you're like, hey, I got this $50,000 gift, but he sexually harassed me, the likely response is still like, holy cow, you got a $50,000 gift. Congrats. Right. <laughs> or they're like, oh, that's so, oh, I'm so sorry. Maybe I'll deal with that person next time so you don't have to. Right. But not really addressing the fact that that's uncalled for and inappropriate in the first place. Right. Yeah. We, we're not going to call out the behavior because we might lose the money. Right. And this is something that I think is not talked about enough in fundraising. Yeah. I feel like in the last few years, I've been hearing more about it coming out. Um, and we've had some really, I think, brave fundraisers who have come out and shared their stories, shared their stories of even sexual assault. Um, at the hands mm. of donors. Gosh. Um, it's horrible. And it's, I mean, at the end of the day, it's so real. And, and when we think about power dynamics in nonprofits, it's like, how could it not be? Right. Right. Exactly. Um, 
So the other, what are some of the other ways that you have seen compromising values play out in philanthropy? Well, they're the subtle ways of just like not calling out the bullshit, right? Like not, not telling a donor they're wrong, not um, encouraging them to change behavior, um, letting shit slide. Uh, like I'll, <laughs> I'll never forget. I was, um, I was DD running my gala, um, where we raised just a shit ton of money in a night. I mean, it was, it was awesome. Great event. Um, and what was always a struggle was it was a, um, it was a progressive thing. And so people would drive from like where we had appetizers all as a group to individual homes. And, mm-hmm. and there was somebody who had clearly, um, imbibed a bit much. And so oh, I approached yeah. them to say like, Hey, let's get you a cab. We've got them lined up. You know, we, we can, we can send you straight home, et cetera. Um, and they got like aggressive with me. No. Yeah. And it's like, okay, first off, dude, I'm just trying to keep you safe and also trying to keep everybody else safe by keeping you off the roads because you're an adult who doesn't know how much you can drink. Right. That's an issue. And then like, as he's getting aggressive with me, um, a board member stepped in who like knew him and could calm it down. And they like pulled me aside later and they're like, Hey, sorry. And I was like, well, did you talk to him about that? And like, Oh no, no. Yeah. We, he's a big donor. We can't. Yeah. Right. Like, the for the board member even to identify that like that would be bad for us to a- address a donor being aggressive with a staff member yeah exactly and i've had that happen to me not so much of trying to get them a ride home but having a donor choose that moment when they're you know maybe have um as you put it imbibed a little too much to then chastise me for something oh, publicly. My God, yeah. While while we're at an event, a public event, and I know that it's you know they they are acting not how they would normally act in a day to day meeting, but yet it's at my expense, right? And I'm having to pacify the behavior, mm-hmm. and then forgive it ultimately and maybe never mention it again. Right? Let's just pretend like it never happened. Can we just say that like the way we equate booze at events for fundraising is bullshit? Oh, because the more you serve, the more money people spend? Yeah. Like that equation? Yeah. And I know people like fundraisers will be quick to be like, no, no, no. I mean, we don't let them overdo it. We don't want people making a decision that they can't handle. And yet, when was the last time you were at a fundraiser of any kind that didn't have alcohol? None. Yeah. And I know, like, that's a, a larger, like, cultural, well, societal issue. Once. I was at, a, at, like, a luncheon, but nothing that happens in the evening. Nothing that happens in the evening. Yeah. For sure. Uh, and I, I think it, it, yeah, it continues to put people in a bad position because they, uh, they get enough of their... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The things that hold you back from doing bad things. What's that called? Self-control? Inhibitions. Inhibitions. Thank you. Their inhibitions are lowered to a level where they play this bullshit. um, And usually it ends up being staff who have to clean it up. Yeah. And what? So they make a gift that's maybe a couple thousand dollars more than they had planned to when they arrived? 
And even that I feel like is being really generous. Right. And the question is, do they maintain that same level afterwards? I mean, has that experience all of a sudden opened a door that now they're going to start giving to your organization more frequently and at a higher level? I had so much fun at your gala that now I'm actually committed to being anti-racist and anti-sexist. So therefore, I'm going to give to your anti-racist, anti-sexism organization. (laughs) Right. I just don't think it works like that. Yeah, I don't think so either. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm all about people having a good time, Um, though we've talked about that too, about galas in general just being um, in opposition to our missions. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why we have to show show somebody a good time just to get them to support a really great cause. Right. But that being said, um, I am human and I understand people want to come together and socialize and network and, and I'm all for that, but you're absolutely right. I mean, in the industry, we talk all the time about this equation of how much booze is there versus will, will indicate how much people will give. Yeah. And that's so fucked up. It's so fucked up. It's so unethical on our side. Let's be clear. I, I mean, part of this, we were talking about the ethics of like working with donors who are unethical, but we got to check ourselves. We it's really so do. True. It's so true. So I've also seen it play out where you have a donor who's really interested in supporting your organization, um, maybe at a really high level, but then they want to dictate uh, not just restricting the gift. But I've seen it particularly with capital campaigns where it's um, already restricted, right? Mm-hmm. So the, you know the money is going to go to the build out of whatever you're building. But then they want to have a say in the actual designing yeah. of the building. And in, in some cases, I've seen it where they're like, well, I'm going to give you all this money, but I really think you should have X, Y, and Z, of which – you weren't planning on doing because that's just going to raise the cost of the building. Mm -hmm. But then because it's contingent on this money, you say, okay, and now you're in over your head on expenses. Right. Like when we start to assume, or we let donors assume, I should say, that a donation buys them a seat at the table for decision-making, Yeah, we will forever be in in this situation. Right, like it'll continue to repeat itself. We have to ensure as as a sector, as fundraisers, that we are very clear that your ability to engage in whatever work it is, whether it's sitting on a capital campaign committee, whether it's sitting on the construction, whatever, is not tied to your donation. You don't get a bigger vote. You don't you don't get a say. Right, but what's yes, but what's so funny? It goes back to your point of we have to check ourselves. Is that another theory that we use in the industry as fundraisers? Is if you want to get money from someone, ask them for their advice. Oh yeah, yeah. Which so we we pretend so which so we pretend that they do have a seat at the table. (laughs) You're not wrong. Yeah, right. It's totally an issue. And I, I feel kind of like I'm giving behind the scenes information right now. <laughs> like I'm I'm telling all of our secrets, but it's really true. I mean, there's so many times that we 
you know, I have talked to donors and I've said, well, what do you think we should do? Mm-hmm. But then I have no, I, not that I'm not going to listen. I'll definitely listen, but I really have no immediate plans to implement whatever they say. Mm-hmm. Well, and in like capital campaign preparation, we, we definitely ask those kinds of questions. I think the way that we become more ethical in those interactions is by being very specific in our questions. So instead of just like, what do you think we should do? Provide them specific questions where you would take feedback. Um, But, and here's the big but, um, (laughs) which I just thought of like huge asses for some reason. (laughs) Here's the big old but. Uh Uh-huh. I'm an eight-year-old boy. Uh, I'm listening. If we are going to allow donors at a large, at a high level, to be giving input on things, we have to give it to all donors. Absolutely. Oh, that's why you're so good at what you do. <laughs> yes. Yes. I, I was talking to um, a colleague of mine who has done a lot of like high level university fundraising, which I will admit that that's not my realm. That's not a space I work in um, where you're, you know, raising a hundred million dollars in a campaign. Um, but he was saying how he very adamantly will not put anybody on like an endowment committee who um, is being solicited or who has already given a large gift to the endowment. Mm, and I was uh-huh. like, you know, that's that's kind of interesting because, you know, the whole point of an endowment is that it, it just grows funds. And so an endowment committee, you're you're working on like where you're investing it and how you're investing it. And he said, I don't do that because the power dynamics on the committee itself then end up being so imbalanced. Yep. That's such a good point. It's so smart. Mm-hmm. It's so smart. So I think a key takeaway here is that we have room for improvement on both sides of the table, right? Yeah. Absolutely. And that's what it. All ta- right. <laughs> <laughs> well, what other takeaways? I mean... You know, I would love for us to get to a point in a, as a sector where um, the scarcity mentality isn't impacting our ethical considerations when working with donors, right? Like we could just do what's best and most values driven and most ethical 100% of the time. But I think what genuinely holds us back is being so worried about scarcity, being so worried that we're not going to get the gift that's going to transform our organization. When in the reality, of course, if we actually held true to our values and our ethics all the time, we would bring about ethical values-driven donors. Absolutely. Well, you just made me think of another one real quick. I mean, I'm sure we could talk all day on this topic, but board members. Ooh, yeah, go for it. Well, just seeking out recruiting board members because of who they quote unquote are in the community, but maybe not necessarily because they're such a great fit with the mission of the organization. Actually, I've got a great example that kind of twists what you're saying into a slightly new light. So I was on the board of an organization that was all about body positivity, um, trying to fight against eating disorders, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, really small, super small organization. And we recruited um, this gentleman onto the board who'd been involved. I actually volunteered for that organization. You did? I don't know if you even knew that. Uh-huh. I did we'll not. talk about it later. Yeah. When I was the board chair or before Maybe. that? Maybe. I don't know. It was a long time ago. 
Oh my god. Okay, we'll talk about that later. Um, <laughs> so anyway, we, we recorded recruited this young man onto the board, um, and he was like college age, and we were really trying to reach out to college folks. So that was important in terms of our demographics. And he had been um, doing a little bit of the work, and then we realized, like through some of his social media posts, uh, that he was all about the fat shaming. Oh, man. Which, like, so fundamentally went against what we were doing. Yeah, absolutely. And I just remember having this conversation with the executive director of, like, how did we miss this? <laughs> like, right. And he, he was a personal trainer and, like, you know, said the things we thought were the right things. But we, I mean, we just missed the mark in terms of vetting yeah. him. And then, of course, as board chair, I had to be the one to, like, ask him not to be on the board anymore because it, it – was just a values mismatch. I bet that was a tough conversation. It was it, without even the dynamics of money involved, right? I mean, did you did you blatantly um, admit that by e stalking through Facebook, you noticed that? It, there were definitely some points about that, uh, and just highlighting again the work that we were doing. We were promoting healthy at every size, um, which is just about a healthy lifestyle and not a, a specific body image and like getting away from those, right. those kinds of concepts. And so as I was explaining that again to him, I said, you know, I think we might have some different ideas about this. And he was like, yeah, I was like, okay, <laughs> so time to go. <laughs> well, I mean, it's such a great point that your board members are ambassadors for your organization in the community. And you need to make sure that your values align, not just that they have rich friends. Right. Absolutely. I, you know, going back to your call of, you know, actively trying to get out of the scarcity mindset, you know, I really call on leadership of organizations, of EDs and CEOs, because I feel like this is modeled from the top down. Absolutely. Yeah. And that when you're in those donor meetings, not being afraid to take a stance on something if it's in opposition to the values of the organization. Absolutely. No, we're not going to take your restricted dollars because we don't actually need them for that purpose. Exactly. And if that means we lose the donation entirely, we lose the donation entirely. Or I'm sorry, what you just said feels really inappropriate. Yeah. And it, it feels like maybe this isn't a good fit because that's not what we're about here. I think about the, the folks entering into fundraising right now, that especially younger women entering into fundraising, and what a difference it would make. Like I think back to the situation I talked about at my gala. What a difference it would have made if my executive director came over to that donor and said, you can't do that. I need you to leave right now. Exactly. Right? Then maybe I would have stayed in direct fundraising longer. Like maybe right. then I I would have felt empowered to do my job better and, you know, I was going to say more better again. Gosh, words are so hard today. <laughs> <laughs> more better. I get it. I'm picking up what you're putting down. Yes. I agree. And I think that if that boundary can be held at the top mm -hmm. and then it can be witnessed by the rest of the staff, then that empowers the staff to hold the same boundary. Mm -hmm. Yep. I mean, we've basically just put forward a blueprint to save the fundraising profession. So I hope folks are listening. There it is. The turnover <laughs> rate is going to drastically decrease from this moment forward. <laughs> 
But I mean, again, joking aside, like there's a lot of work for us to be doing on the nonprofit side. We can't just say that this is a donor issue. Absolutely. Yep. Mm -hmm. And so I think taking a hard look at our own practices and if we're, if we're engaging in them with integrity Mm -hmm. or with just straight up ulterior motives the whole time. Right. Right. And I, I, I want to clarify what I said earlier too. Like, obviously we all have our own political leanings and I'm not saying that I want every fundraiser to go in and, you know, convert Republicans to Democrats or anything like that. But at the same time, you know, I think there are ways that we can promote the mission, the programs, and therefore the underlying policies that support them to our donors in braver ways that is then going to also feel better to us as fundraisers. All right. That seems like a really great place to end it. I'm good with that. (laughs) So if you have stories, again, we want to hear from you um, because this is a whole lot of just Nia and I talking in our own. Again, it is our podcast. (laughs) Truth, truth, truth. (laughs) It is by design, just you and I talking. But it would be great um, to hear and, and be, you know, have these these different scenarios reaffirmed, you know, by hearing if if you've ever been in a situation where your own personal sub- personal values have been compromised. Gosh, now I can't talk. <laughs> compromised, or those of your organizations, um, and vice versa. I would love to hear it if you work for someone or you are the leader of an organization that has held that boundary, how did you do it? Yep. Were you able to maintain the relationship with the donor? Did it change the relationship for the positive or did you just part ways? So I'm really interested in hearing about those as well. Love it. That sounds great. Where can, where can they send them? Oh yeah. They, they probably want to know that, huh? I mean, I guess they could email us if they wanted. I mean, it's like <laughs> so passe, but we are at nonprofitreframe at gmail.com. Um, we're also on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, um, and I'm I'm assuming soon TikTok. That's true. So true. <laughs> um, and then as always, if you have capacity, please, this is the time to support your local nonprofits. Give and give generously. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. We would like to thank our sponsors. Mission Launch is a Colorado-based nonprofit consulting firm focusing on fundraising and board governance. You can learn more at missionlaunchco.com. And Jake Walker Music, who provides our theme music. You can find him at jakewalkermusic.org. Thank you so much.